Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to The Danger Room, the X-Men Comics Commentary Podcast. My name is Adam. And my name is Jeremy. And we are here to discuss Uncanny X-Men number 189, the January 1985 issue, which was on sale October 9th of 1984, the cover price of which was 60 cents. The title of this here issue is Two Girls Out to Have Fun. Hopefully, it does not involve a cup. Uh, you had to go there that early? <laughs> Sorry. Oh, my God. I just had to get it out of the no. way. No. <laughs> um, yeah. In another uh, bit of trivia, or to get your mind off of that, uh, finally, we are done with the 10-issue lack of trade paperback ditch we've been in. Yeah. I'm reading this from my copy of... Epic Collection X-Men The Gift. Me too. Which is apparently volume 12. <laughs> yeah, is this volume 12 of the Epic Collection, or is this volume 12 of X-Men Epic Collection? This is the volume 12 of X-Men Epic Collection, for which they have only released volume 1 and volume 12. Yeah. So, I think we talked about this a while ago, but apparently they're just doing like this shotgun scattershot release of of material but whatever i think the stuff that they're releasing first is the stuff that they have not released yet so if it's already out the probably the next one they'll release will be the 10 issues we just covered <laughs> yeah yeah probably although the, are those covered in masterworks yet no i don't think so oh, okay so yeah they'll probably cover those and then i think there's a gap somewhere in the 200s that hasn't been covered yet I bet you they're planning uh, another Marvel Masterworks, which would have the last ten issues, and then probably uh, Kitty Pride and Wolverine. Don't you think? Yeah, I would think so. Yeah, because the uh, the one previous to that had the whole Wolverine miniseries in it, and likely it's also going to have uh, X Men versus the Micronauts. I mean, that is canon. <laughs> well, right. It's not a collection if it doesn't have that. <laughs> yeah. So uh, X Men number one eighty nine. I'm so happy that we're we're back to doing X Men stuff. We were rolling on for two issues. No. no. Or two episodes. Six issues, though. That was a lot of reading. That's true. On the cover of this, you have Celine, and she's doing earthy stuff to the, well, magma and phoenix on the cover. She's causing the tiniest volcano. Yeah, I guess it's mag magma who's causing the earthy stuff to go towards the volcano. I'm not really sure what's going on. It doesn't look like Celine's doing anything but raising her arms up. Yeah, there's like mental side bolts either coming or going out of... Uh, uh, Rachel's head. And actually, I guess I shouldn't have said Phoenix because her name is Rachel. I thought you did say Rachel. Oh. I must have blocked out Phoenix and heard you say Rachel. I never said Phoenix. You said Phoenix. Why are you spoiling this, Adam? Who's Phoenix? I don't know. <laughs> I think she's dead. So all in all, it's a, it's a, you know, it's a, it's a serviceable cover. It's fine. It's not great. Nah, it's not. But this opening spread is, it's very, uh, it's a very appropriate for, for the day in which we're recording, which is the day after the 4th of July, because it features... A Statue of Liberty. Oh, yeah. And not only does it feature the Statue of Liberty, it features Rachel and uh, Amara sitting in the statue's crown. Adam, have you ever been to the Statue of Liberty? Yes. Have you been in the Statue of Liberty? Yes. Really? Yes. All the way to the head? Yes. As, as However high you could go, that's how high I went. It was I was very young, though, so I don't remember it oh. uh, very well. I've I've never been. Uh, I heard that at one point in our past and maybe even our present, you could go all the way up into the torch, but then they closed that down for repairs for like ever. So <laughs> forever. Well, <laughs> that's long, a long time. <laughs> as long as I knew, anyways, it's very likely that it's probably open now. It's interesting that in the in the going back to the cover for a second, the bubble or the the Marvel box, uh, there's only four X Men: Colossus, Storm, Rogue, and Nightcrawler. This is a very up to date Marvel box. Yeah, the, the X-Men are dropping like flies. Even though technically Wolverine is not off the team, he's just on vacation. And Cyclops is on his honeymoon. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, I'm calling Cyclops off the team. Yeah, but he, he hasn't at this point come to the professor and said, as he has many times in the past, said, Professor, I quit. <laughs> my eyes. My deadly <laughs> eyes. Yeah. 
So Amira and Rachel, they're out getting, uh, doing some sightseeing. You got, you know, Rachel, who's from the future, who's never seen views like this, and Amara, who's from Rome, who's kind of comparing this to uh, where she came from. Amara Juliana Olivians Akia is her full name, I gather. Yeah. She's the child of Nova Roma, which was a city from 2,000 years ago. This one's done by uh, writing writing by Chris Claremont, penciled by John Romita Jr. Steve Lealoha is the guest inker. Mm-hmm. I like you, that name. You can really tell, too. <laughs> Tom Orzakowski? Is that how we were calling it? I've never done this. Orzakowski. Is the letterer. Glennis Ween is the colorist and the senti editor. And Heem Shuter is editor in chief. Ooh, I like that. And then uh, this, there's a two-page, kind of half two-page spread here, which I wonder if anybody, like any of the artists, like if John Romita Jr. goes back to this, uh, because it really captures a time, a point of time uh, in uh, our history. So it's the Statue of Liberty, which is partially enshrouded with scaffolding, which it was for, as I recall, you know, a certain part of uh, the 80s. And then right next to it, well, not next to it, but kind of in the distance, you also have the Twin Towers. So I don't know, just kind of an interesting panel in time. And I wonder if he ever goes back and is like, hey, I was there. When I met Larry Hama, he told me a story about uh, Wolverine. It was a random issue of Wolverine. It was like in the 70s or the 60s, maybe like 67 or something, where the... Wait, Larry Hama was writing Wolverine in the 60s? No, issue 60. Oh, 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 sorry. That, yes. makes, that makes way more sense. Didn't you know? I, well, I should have figured. Wolverine's someone from the 60s. He's been around. I feel like we missed those issues, Adam. Um, So Larry Hammond wrote uh, Wolverine for a good, maybe maybe 100 issues, I don't remember. Um, And he was telling me, he was flashing back to the story about uh, Wolverine 67 or something, where, uh, spoilers if you're not familiar with this run, although if you're not, you all have no idea what I'm talking about. The android version of Wolverine is flying a stealth bomber into the Twin Towers. Whoa. And he, he, was, uh, he was reminiscing about that and how, how interesting it was. Was he reminiscing in a, boy, I wish I wouldn't have done that, or damn, called it? <laughs> it wasn't a called it or a, it was neither of those. It was just a like, isn't it interesting how, you know, these things that we, we write and draw eventually like, actually might actually happen? I, you know, I, I would have never expected that to have actually happened, but it, it's interesting that it does. Yeah, yeah, sure. Well, that's that's very interesting anecdote, Adam. So yeah, I, I, so uh, in answer to your question, yeah, I'm, I'm sure John Romita does remember the times that he's drawn the Twin Towers. Yeah. Maybe he's drawn them a lot, but well, I don't know. The, and it's not just the Twin Towers. It's the it's the 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 point in time in which the the Statue of Liberty is all covered in scaffolding. Like it's a, it's a very nice drawing. I wonder yeah. if it is a drawing based on a particular picture that maybe he has hanging up in his living room. I'll bet you. I'll bet you. I'm sure. I'm guessing it's based on a picture of some kind. But yeah. Anyways, they're uh, you know they're they're just two girls, like the cover says, out to have fun. Uh, but uh, quickly, Rachel's mind turns towards the future. She sees Lower Manhattan burning and she starts having a flash forward back. It's a flashback, but it's forward in time. She is on a hydrofoil. And I got to be honest, I thought hydrofoils only existed on G.I. Joe. Oh, I don't know. I mean, everything based in G.I. Joe up through the 90s, up, up, up until maybe the early 90s was based in reality. So, so there really are hydrofoils? Oh, they're definitely really hydrofoils. I didn't know I've, that. I've seen those. Have you? Oh. Not in person, but in like movies and stuff. I guess I don't get out that often. The Cobra Moccasin? <laughs> that's real? Is that a is that a ship? I think that might be a hydrofoil. No, that, the, that's based on something. Yeah, uh, yeah. Is it? Okay. And what about the Hiss? Okay. Uh, <laughs> it could be. The Hiss is probably loosely based on a tank. <laughs> well, okay. All right. Uh, all right. So, yeah. Well, yeah, there's obviously some creative license there. So on this hydrofoil, we have a man who looks suspiciously like Henry Peter Gyrick, but I don't think it is. I don't think it is either. He's got a choke chain around somebody all clad in black leather with studs. And he's all like, over here, mutie, we got work for you. And he apparently is talking to another guy who is dressed exactly the same, which confused me. Oh, yeah. Because he's got the same glasses, the same short sleeve shirt. Call it evil thug. Well, in this case, uh, people who think that they're good thug costumes. Also, lots of pouches. Oh, yeah. the, The pouches are coming. 
<laughs> so the, I guess, Officer A pulls off this person's mask, and it is Rachel, but she's got all these black lines across her face every which way. Mm-hmm. And uh, the other guy's like, yeah, so that's a hound. I've heard of them, Sergeant, but I've never met one before. She's the best, sir. We're hunting muties, Red, somewhere in the upper bay. Find them! So she she bounds off the uh, hydrofoil onto the bow, and she points off into the distance and says, "There." You, you think she speaks like that? I do, I do. I think she's she's been beaten uh, into submission, and now she is kind of uh, very raspy and. Yes, master. Mutie's there, <laughs> but more more female. Yes, master. There. I think she uh, has a a very deep voice. In this, and I think she talks like this. There, <laughs> she could. Unfortunately, for two women or a woman and two children, Rachel is pointing at them. They're trying to make their escape across the bay in a rubber motorboat, and the hydrofoil will have nothing to do with it, and just unloads all of their artillery at them, killing them. This comic just got dark. Yeah, Rachel comes back. And the guy, I guess Officer A, he says, good girl, Red, I'm proud of you. Well done, Sergeant. That's three less muties to worry about. So, yeah. And she's thinking to herself, now back in the present. So we we flash back forward. We flash back (laughs) back? from the future to the present. (laughs) Yeah. She thinks to herself about how many died because of her. She's got tears in her eyes. Rachel, you're crying. What's the matter? Is anything wrong? She's She plays it off like she got a speck of dust in her eye. She's lying. She's hiding something. I want to help, but for the moment, I'll not press the point. And uh, apparently there is a large boat off in the distance that they can see, and Aurora is leaving on it. Yeah, it looks like one of those uh, Caribbean cruise liners. Apparently, uh, Storm, after losing her power, is like, I want to go on an all-inclusive cruise around the Caribbean. Yay! Really get back to my roots? No, uh, she's not. Uh, I don't know where she's going yet. But uh, somebody comments that it's a shame that Kitty Pride and Wolverine weren't here because they're off in Japan doing something. Currently chronicled in the Kitty Wolverine miniseries on sale now. We should check that out. We should. Let's stop recording this and reread Kitty Pride and Wolverine. <laughs> okay. See you in 10 minutes. Give or take. Uh, Nightcrawler is all dressed up in his tuxedo and top hat. And the professor's uh, dressed up, too. Yeah, they all. Well, I guess, yeah, just those two. Everybody else is kind of dressed down. Peter's got nice pants on. <laughs> Storm is wearing like a very revealing top that shows off a ton of her cleavage. Well, you know, she's this is this is new Storm. Mohawk Storm. True, true. Lockheed's there. Uh, Ileana's there and Rogue. So uh, Nightcrawler's trying to be like, oh, you could always wait till the return. Maybe you should stay longer. And she says no. She considered it, but... Having to say goodbye to Kitty would be hard enough, and it's better this way. Yeah, she's got to go. Oh, enough of these sad words. This is supposed to be a celebration. Well, what kind of celebration is it? A celebration of Storm leaving? Doesn't seem like much of a celebration. I guess because, well, I don't know. Maybe <laughs> it's a good point. And I feel like celebration is the is the wrong the wrong well, word. To be used we here. don't really know what's going on yet, so maybe it is. Maybe maybe. Storm won a free, all-inclusive cruise around the world. Yeah, no, but we learned in just a couple panels that she didn't. <laughs> I'm, I'm holding to it. Okay, okay. Maybe that's what, um, maybe that's what Nightcrawler thinks. So Nightcrawler pops open the champagne. We got Lockheed in the background, just drinking it right out of a cup, slurping it, if you will. Yeah. Sip, slup, sip, sip slup. So he's getting drunk. <laughs> drunk dragon. Professor looks over at Storm. He's like, you're meant to sip that. And this is a callback to uh, Aurora's champagne experience with Forge. I know. I seem to have acquired a taste for it. May I have another glass, Professor? (laughs) (laughs) And this is where we find out. The Professor says, are you certain you want to leave the X-Men? And this this is where we find out that it is kind of a celebration. Storm is going home. To Africa, and it's a celebration of returningness. Oh, um, I don't read that here, but okay. <laughs> so yeah, she's leaving the X Men because you know, without her powers, how can she possibly lead the X Men? She can't assume that they'll regenerate or come back. So she's got to head home and rebuild her life. Yeah. So I guess I, I don't know. It's like a, just a se- farewell send off. 
it's just not it's not a celebration like your your good buddy like just lost her like her arm <laughs> and is is now going back home to live with her parents because she can't take care of herself hey let's celebrate no it's like oh I don't well, know. maybe he means that they're celebrating in the sense that it's not a celebratory event, but they're treating it like a celebration. Oh, so they're lying to themselves. Yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> Fine. Anyways, the professor wishes he could do some more, uh, but uh, Storm... She, she thinks to herself that the professor has been her friend and teacher, and those gifts are beyond price. Nothing more is needed. And that's when an announcement comes over the boat this Celebration is over because all ashore that's going ashore must go now, even though they've got two teleporters with them. So they could party like for quite a while and then Ileana could uh, limbo them back. But that's true. They're not going to. Maybe they're worried about the uh, the ticket checker coming and harassing them. And Rogue flies as well. So good point. Yeah. The only one that really has to worry about this whole thing, uh, I guess, is Peter and the professor. But like I said, they could go with Ileana. Anyways, uh, Storm says, uh, "Okay, well, it's uh, been been well. It's been real. It's been fun, but it hasn't been real fun. Get off my boat <laughs> and uh, tell Kitty I love her. Do that yourself, Liebchen, when you return." Meanwhile, the two people that did not want to say goodbye to Storm, Amara and Rachel, are downtown shopping. Well, neither of them really know Storm. Good point. But still, it would just be common courtesy. These strange people who took me into their house, I should probably go say goodbye to this person who seems really important to them. I mean, none of the other new mutants are here. Yeah, they're all jerks. Oh, in case you didn't know, Amara is a new mutant. We didn't mention that, but if you've been listening to the show, you probably know that. Yeah. All right, well, they're going to go shopping. Uh, but while they head off to go shopping, we see uh, a, a familiar man from last, maybe last issue of Uncanny X-Men. Yes. It's Jamie. He's on the last page. I think his name, we knew his name is jo- Jamie, right? Yes. Yeah. He's pushing a, a dolly full of fish because that's what he does. His name is Jamie Rodriguez. And uh, yeah, he he's he's just he's in it for another payday. Uh, and then he'll be able to get some books for his boys because apparently or the boy, his, his son, I would presume, or maybe adopted son, whatever. So last issue, we discovered that he opened up a fish and inside was a necklace. And it was very ominous. There are some people just kind of messing with his locker. And he's like, whoa, what up? He goes and knocks him out and they're like, be cool, bro. I ain't your bro, Stevens. I catch either of you messing with my stuff. I'll take it out of your scummy hides. Now beat it. So he looks in his locker and he's like, oh, it's the necklace. Should never have left it here. But uh, so he knows it's asking for trouble, but he's too scared to take it home. So he knows there's something up with it, but he doesn't quite know what it is. And the necklace tells him, I summoned those people and they answered, as will all with greed and murder in their hearts. But twas ye thou who saved its Thor. Who saved me, Jamie Rodriguez? Thou art my favored one. Yield me thy soul. So small a price for so great a gift, and the world will be thine. No! He slams the locker, and he thinks to himself, every time this thing talks to me, I want to say yes. It knows it. that It's evil. I can't fight it. I got to get rid of it. Tonight. That's the plan. Tonight, I'm just getting rid of that necklace. Not right now, though. I got more fish to push. I am still on the clock. <laughs> Boss don't like people who cheat on the clock. So the girls uh, who are out to have fun are shopping. Actually, no, they're at well, a... They're uh, done shopping. They went to the Metropolitan Museum of Art to see the Goya exhibition. And uh, uh, Amara is is kind of swept up in it because it's, it's like home almost. There is a Nova... Well, I guess it's a, it's a recreation of a Roman palace. And it reminds her very much of Nova Roma. References to Caesar. Uh, were they here to Gaius Julius? I don't know what any of that means. Do you, Adam? <laughs> uh, I see references to Caesars. Were they heirs oh. to Gaius, Gaius Julius? Um, there are, I suppose, other Caesars that happened after Julius Caesar. Yeah. So uh, Amara is just not in the loop as far as historical goes. I didn't know there were any other Caesars, so I suppose I'm not in the loop either. Is I should probably already know this, but is Amara like a time traveler? No. Oh. Um, her people chose to um, not – to. you remember that movie, that M. Night Shyamalan movie where they – The Village? Yes. And all those people chose to live in that village? Yes. Well, well they didn't all choose to live in the village, Adam, only the elders. Right, right. So uh, – 
her people chose to live in a Roman like okay, so it's just Ro- city. Roman village, right? M. Naj Shyamalan stole from the New Mutants, is what you're telling Absolutely. me. Absolutely, that's that's exactly what I'm getting at. That freaking thief, I bastard! <laughs> Makes you like something, and then you realize it's stupid. Yeah, that's <laughs> the twist. <laughs> yeah. Anyways, yeah, they're they're hanging around talking about the various Caesars. Um, yeah. She talks about how the New Mutants rescued her from Nova Roma and how if they hadn't, she would have been killed by Celine, likely. And so as they're conversing, Rachel picks up some familiar thought patterns and she takes off. Rachel! Amara follows after and she's like, oh, for them to be so strong, she must be close by. There in that limo, she's still relaxed. No sense of alarm. She has spotted somebody. I mean, I'm going to guess based on the cover, it's probably Celine. Yeah, yeah, it's Celine. Yeah. Um, would you mind explaining what the devil is going on, says Amara? And that's when Rachel reveals that she has heard a psychic familiar, a familiar psychic voice. It belongs to the mutant who very nearly killed me, Celine. And of course, Amara knows Celine because, as I just mentioned, uh, she tried to sacrifice her. Yep. Thereby creating magma. Right. And so she's like, "That's I got to get my revenge, and this is my only chance. We got to go get her. And Rachel reads her mind, and she's all like, you know her too. I can tell. And then Amara's all mad and says, get out of my brain. So they follow the limo only a few blocks down to an elegant, venerable mansion. It's true. And they, uh, they, they tuck around behind the mansion to try to sneak in, which they do. They sneak in and they tr- put on some servant's clothes. And Rachel has a bit of a problem with this because she swore she'd never put a collar on again. Yeah, these are uh, very skimpy French-made outfits that also have like a black collar. And this is triggering a memory of hers. She does not like the, the idea of putting on a collar. But she does. And then she's kind of, you know, they're... Amara and her are kind of laughing about the heels and how they look ridiculous. I fear my ankles will break with every step. Don't look That's at me. That's how I feel whenever I wear heels. Oh, me too. Uh, this loony caper is your idea. So the plan here is they dress up as servants and they try to infiltrate and, I guess, kill Selene. The loony caper is your idea. Hmm. Loony caper. Isn't that a Wolverine term? Is everybody speaking Wolverine? <laughs> or is everybody just speaking Chris Claremont? Mm-hmm. Think about it. That's when uh, a, I guess, a butler or somebody in a purple suit and, and big frilly collar comes in and says, I need one of you ladies to come with me. It is the butler. I wasn't even aware he was nearby. Oh my gosh, there must be some psychic dampeners around here. Psychic dampeners, that's not good. <laughs> what are you getting yourself into, Rachel? Never a good idea to go in a place with psychic dampeners. So a guy introduces himself as Frederick von Rome to one Herr Shaw. So I think we can now safely assume that we are inside the Hellfire Club. Oh yeah. And, and in fact... uh. Friedrich von Room is presenting Celine to um, Sebastian Shaw as uh, a candidate for the inner circle to be its new black queen. Shaw is impressed by what he sees because she's decked out in the full bustier, bikini, underwear, black queen garb. But what can she do? The title of the black queen is a singular honor. It must be earned. So Celine is happy to indulge. She uh, takes control of inorganic matter to create a giant fist that lifts Shaw out of his throne. Shaw is just barely able to bust through, and he thinks to himself about his powers. His powers are kinetic-based, but since she didn't hit him with anything, only grabbed him, uh, it was with luck that he was able to break through. He wonders if Celine knew this. Uh, in which case that that's not good, but he could have died. And he turns and there she is sitting in his throne. And she says, I took the liberty of repairing your throne, Sebastian. And he thinks to himself and she sits on it as if it's already hers. I'm not sure if I want to play this game of thrones. <laughs> yes. This uh, picture in the lower left hand panel of uh, of Sebastian Shaw is this is what I think of when I think of. Uh, John Romita Jr. drawings. Oh yeah, this is the this is the version I don't like of John Romita Jr. Heavy eyes. Yeah, it's sharp. I don't, lines. I don't know what it is about this, but it's 
it's this angle, this face, this facial. I don't know. It, it's not like this through most of the issue, but no, not at all. I think maybe the inks are possibly contributing to it. Could I mean, be. I don't know. I like actually kind of like the inks in this issue, but I get to see where you're going. I personally don't mind the panel. You're a big fan of Lealoha? Oh, I love him. He's one of my favorite inkers. <laughs> and yeah, so Celine, she uh, she kind of twists up her cape around her and she disappears. She is going to go give her host a gift. It is, um, it is, a, call, it is a tradition among her people. And uh, that's Shaw's like, where'd you go? She, she did. Did she teleport her? And this is where Tessa walks up and she's like, nope, she just put us in a trance and then slipped away. So she's pretty powerful. Tessa asks if Sebastian will accept her, and uh, Sebastian says, I don't really have a choice at this point. Uh, we'll see. That'll be all, young lady, says a man off panel. Rachel says, yes, sir. Thank you, sir. And she's on the verge of a major snicker attack, because apparently she just left a room full of frilly laced um, people, as, as the Hellfire Club frequently is. And she finds it hilarious. They're so silly. How could they? I never dreamed. It looks so silly. And their thoughts. Wait till I tell. Oh, stop. Please, no more. It's too funny. I'll die. So did she bring tea to like some goofy uh, orgy? I I don't think so. Oh, I no? suppose that's a possibility. I just assumed they were wearing their, their silly Hellfire Club getups and, and they just looked goofy. Oh, and their thoughts, though. What, what were their thoughts? Um, That's a good question. I don't know. I'm just thinking it was like... Uh, silly buffoonery orgy. Who brings tea to an orgy? Come on. Goofy people that would make <laughs> somebody laugh after walking away from the orgy. Orgy break, we need some tea. <laughs> Were there biscuits too? I don't, I don't, that's too, that's, that's, this magazine, I wouldn't put it past Cliss Claremont, but it feels too scandalous. Think so? Well, mm-hmm. maybe. Maybe it's implied, but it's just, it's not said because it needs to maintain his comics code or who knows, maybe they're just playing tic-tac-toe and it was really funny to Rachel. So, yeah, she's laughing to herself, although I don't know if this is a ruse or not, because in the next panel, she turns around and she's like, surprise, vampire, you ambushed me the first time, that'll never happen again. So I'm wondering if the whole that was so funny and all that sort of stuff was to throw Celine off, um, or if this is just a really uh, bad jump cut. Well, I I think the idea is, and I, I you, it could be the way that you've interpreted it as well, but I, I think the idea is that she seems like she's lost in thought as somebody is sneaking up behind her and she's in fact not lost in thought. So I, th- I my guess would be that it would be sort of a combination where she's just so focused that she's, she's able not to uh, reveal herself into the last second. And so she whips around and she blasts this vampire witch with a side bolt and she goes flying, crashing against the wall and she's like, yeah. Too bad the pleasure wasn't Amara. She deserves this moment more than I. I'm impressed. Celine's still breathing. And that's unfortunately when Celine transforms into Amara. <gasps> so Celine had converted or transferred Amara into her or something. I don't know. Psychic, psychic trickery. Yeah, it's some sort of psychic trickery. Celine comes up from behind Rachel and was like, I don't repeat myself. I did something different. And now I'm going to take part of your soul. Not all of it, though. Merely enough to place you within my power along with your companion. Isn't that nice? So she takes the two girls and I guess uh, she ties them up with a chain around their neck, or at least Amara's. I think both of them. And says, here you go, Shaw. Here's your gift. Don't you like them? They're yours. Do whatever you want with them. I got you some X-Men, although they never really say whether or not they know if it's X-Men. But Tessa thinks to herself, the the redhead's uh, resemblance to Jean Grey is uncanny. Are they related? Does she possess the power of Phoenix? Is she a part of the uncanny (laughs) X-Men? Take the gift, Sebastian. Use it to destroy Celine. Uh, Rachel is inside of her own mind. She is aware of her surroundings, but she can't do anything about it. And this reminds her of when she was a hound wearing her Maori mask. Which I think is the the lines. I think I'm not really sure how that works because those lines we will later learn are just something that happens to her. Spoilers. (laughs) So I don't think that they're like makeup or a mask. It's like a tattoo that just appears when it needs to. I hope we learn more about that. Well, the, the caption says that the Maori mask is the uniform, so maybe the whole thing is the mask. Could be. I mean, when we first saw her 
earlier in this issue, she was wearing a studded mask, but she's not in any of these panels. And she's got those lines on her face. So right. maybe that's Maori. I don't know. But uh, she uh, she sees herself in fire. She's really scared. Um, she wants to uh, stay where she is to give up. But she fights back. But she can't gain control yet. Uh, and that's when she uh, develops a new costume of, like, Big, tall red boots, a red one-piece tunic type thing, and a yellow belt with one of those G.I. Joe face masks that cover their mouth and noses. Yeah, she's ahead of her time. Mm-hmm. I don't know. G.I. Joe's out about this time, isn't it? But I don't feel like this mask is very prevalent yet. Oh. Doesn't it show up around the time of the ninjas? Well, like like the troopers have this kind of a mask. It's not until, like, main characters... You're right. When the ninjas show up, all the main characters get these masks. I guess I always thought the trooper's mask was metal. Oh, no. That's just Cobra Commanders. Oh, okay. I think all the troopers have have a cloth face mask. And I think that's just so that nobody had to draw unique faces for everybody. (laughs) You could be right. (laughs) Or when they uh, made the toy, they didn't have to make unique faces for all the troopers. That's true. And it turned out to be a super cool effect. So she, she... Feels Amara's presence, and so she transfers. Uh, well, what we missed is that they established a psychic link earlier in the issue. So she uses that psychic link to kind of cast herself into Amara, and she hopes that she can do this without Celine noticing, which apparently she does. Amara is admiring a very large. She's she's back in Nova Roma. She's reclining and she's admiring a large statue of Celine. Yeah, and she does not like the fact that Rachel's here. She's like, "Get out of here! Go away! You don't belong here." And they struggle. Um, Do some fighting. It's a, it's a big old fight. Amara hits Rachel with a sword, a psychic sword maybe. I don't know. It doesn't do any damage. Rachel grabs Amara from behind. Amara casts a little earthquake type thing, which rumbles and crashes and breaks down this whole uh, dreamscape that Amara's created. Which is part of Rachel's plan. She's gambling her psychic attack will break uh, Celine's hold on Amara. Mm-hmm. And so eventually Amara turns into magma, and that's when she starts blasting at Rachel, who's able to dodge out of the way. And Amara shouts, you dare lay hands on a daughter of Rome, witch! You dare lay claim to my thoughts, my very soul! I warned you that would happen! And Rachel says, uh-oh. But it turns out that Amara is actually talking about Celine, and she melts the Celine statue. And then they both pop out of uh, their their mind space. They're back in real life. And they're up. Uh, they're back in their own heads, and they actually have control over their bodies now. And that's when Amara's like, I'm going to get you, Celine. Yeah. Celine fights back. Um, Sebastian says, this is your gift to me, Celine. You deal with it. <laughs> this is lame. <laughs> Not very happy about what's happening to my club. Yeah. <laughs> this sucks. So, uh Rachel's not doing a whole lot. She's actually kind of uh, kind of looking a little afraid about how much power Amara is casting out. So much so that she she calls up to the professor. She says, "If you're wherever you are, hear me. Come running. We need you." And now I'm going to shoot Celine with a cybolt. Uh, Celine captures both Amara and uh, Rachel with the floor again using her. Uh, matter control she starts to crush them and that's when cyclops uh, cyclops jeez <laughs> i wish nightcrawler bamps into the room your pardon frulein but we like our young friends just the way they are and she grabs celine and bamps celine out of the room nightcrawler says rachel be careful elf don't give her a chance to mind shock you or drain your life force no bring back the witch she's mine says amara and that's when Rogue bursts in the wall with Colossus, and she says, Up against the wall, suckers. Looks like we arrived in the nick of time, Colossus, as usual. Y'all right, Ray? You think she says Colossus? I kind of like that. Colossus. Colossus. <laughs> I think she does. <laughs> professor. Yeah, she really likes to emphasize those O's. Okay. Uh, yeah. And the professor's there in his astral form, Rachel points out. And he's like, Let's do aerobics, everyone! Yes, he is definitely in a pose. <laughs> and he comes up and does his aerobics dance over to Shaw and says, If you wish to continue this battle, Shaw, the X-Men will be more than happy to oblige. Which I feel is a little out of character for the professor, but whatever. Well, he's already read Shaw's mind and he's like, he's not going to fight us. I'm just <laughs> going to sound tough. 
he also knows that I'm not tough, and I also know that he's not going to believe this. But the X-Men are going to think this is wonderful. <laughs> this is why I should continue being the X-Men's leader. Check out my groovy X on my groovy new shirt. I'm an X-Man. It's my costume. I'm a literal X-Man. <laughs> Shaw says uh, he wonders where Celine is. And apparently all it took was Nightcrawler to teleport him up or her upstairs and give her a nerve pinch. And she went out like a light. She's very susceptible to bamfing. Yeah, totally. Amara is ready to go upstairs and deal the death blow. The professor says, I appreciate your feelings toward her child, but my students do not care. If you would remain with us, you must accept that. Uh, no, he says. <laughs> She's like, fine. <laughs> and Shaw's like, uh, look, this was Celine's gig. She's not really even part of the Hellfire Club. So, you know, one day we'll fight, but not today. You may leave. And, and you don't have to pay the bills. So Rachel's like, well, God, look at us. We're French maids. We can't go out looking like this. Y'all are in New York. <laughs> <laughs> Who'd um, notice? notice? <laughs> and uh, Rachel's like, oh, this is one of my favorite tricks. Uh, my mom used to do it on my dad all the time, telekinetically transforming his clothes like this. Oof, I'm tired. Everybody's wearing, um, I guess, what they were wearing before. So these, all of these people know who Rachel's mom was, is, is well, yeah, going to be, right? Because she, she said in the last issue, yeah, Jean okay. Grey can't be dead because she's my mommy. So they're not really dealing with this at this point. No, they're just like, you know, whatever. Yeah, somebody really should tell Cyclops, but it ain't going to be me. I'm not going to do it. <laughs> Typical Marvel fashion. Everybody in the world knows except for Cyclops. Yeah. Well... Mara wants to know, how did you find us? Rachel's like, was it my telepathic mayday? Right, Professor? I done good, didn't I? No. Turns out there's an earthquake all around, and we just went to investigate, and we got lucky. X people. Mara's kind of like, ooh, geez, that's... I... Damn it. <laughs> really didn't mean to do that. All this destruction, and for what, my friend? Celine yet lives. My mother remains unavenged that accursed demon at liberty to... Spread her evil across your land as she did mine. Yeah, but what from the professor said to Mr. Shaw, it'll be a long time before she steps out of line again, because... I guess. A promise I why, was I made. I don't know why Rachel thinks that. They, they pinky swore. <laughs> astrally projected. Meanwhile, uh, I guess maybe in a subway where there is a poster of the upcoming Dazzler film. Whoa! With spray-painted mutie dye on it. That can't be good. And, in fact, uh, Jamie Rodriguez is listening to his televised... Oh, he's got, like, a mini-TV Watchman. He's got a Sony Watchman, Adam. I, I didn't know they made TV versions of those. You, I had one. Really? Not in 1984, but I had one a little later on. Yeah, Watchmans were... You know, when the Walkman hit, they were like, well, how can we get this technology but in TV form? Oh, it's a Watchman. I didn't yeah. even realize that it wasn't a Walkman. It's a Watchman. Oh, man. <laughs> but I find this highly suspicious because if Jamie Rodriguez has to work lugging fish back and forth just to buy some books for his boy... Maybe he shouldn't have bought this Watchmen because these things were not inexpensive. You know, he's an early adopter. He couldn't help himself. He regrets it. <laughs> yeah. I wish I could flip this over for some books. Is there a pawn show around here? Yeah, so whoever's on TV is is definitely not being unbiased. They're like, I hate mutants. This Dazzler's a mutant. Hate him. The film is said to focus on the problems of mutant kinds. I suppose there must be some. Any wolf in sheep's clothing has to put up with that annoying, itchy fleece. And as Jamie has his headphones in and is listening very intently to this. No, not news. listening. He's watching because it's a watchman. Oh, that's right. He's, well, he's watching and listening. <laughs> okay, fine. Fair enough. The point is he can't hear that someone is sneaking up on him with a knife and stabbing him in the back. Yeah, and he, he gets stabbed. Uh, so if the headphones come out of the Watchman, can you hear it? Well, yeah, there's a little speaker on the front. The one I had okay. had a speaker. Okay, so then so then that happens. The uh, I guess Jamie is dead. Yeah, he's he's dead. And then, you know, the, the mugger is like, yeah, you got it, man. Kill all them muties. And uh, grabs the necklace and it burns him alive. 
Well, first he says, my lucky day. This piece looks for real. Hey, it's on fire. I'm burning and narrating everything. I'm dying. Please stop. No, no, no. Free at last, says the voice of the necklace. Kulan Gath. Kulan Gath. Kulan Gath is free. After countless centuries, my destiny is at hand to make this world forever mine. I always called it Kulan Gath, but that doesn't make any sense because it's an A. Well, no, it, it could be Kulan Gath. I, I mean, it, 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 if it was it was if it was an O, you're right. It definitely would be Kulan Gath, but Kulan. maybe Gath hadn't been invented yet. Although the word Gothic exists, so never mind. <laughs> Kulan Gath. We'll just go with Kulan Gath. Maybe it's Kulan Gat and the H is silent. Oh, that could be. Yeah, so that's it. Uh, next issue, uh, Undreamed Of. In the next page of, of this, the epic, we get some X-Men classic covers, which aren't nearly as good as the originals, but it's fun that they're in there. They're for the next four issues. Yeah, which is kind of distracting because we can't talk about three of these four covers. And by the time we actually read these issues, we're going to forget that these covers were actually even in here. So that sucks. So after we finish the next couple of issues, go back and listen to us talk about each of these. And now we'll talk about them without spoiling anything. Uh, so no. what do you think of the second one? Uh, well, it looks like Deathlock is on the cover. Not Deathlock again. What about Loki? Uh, Loki's on the cover? Yeah. I don't see Loki. Which one's Loki? The one with the horns. Oh, that's like metal Loki. Well, you know. <laughs> yeah. Loki's helmet is made of metal. And then the next one with the the man who is derived from a spider. I, I closed the book already. Oh, all right. <laughs> Fair enough. So there you go. And uh, if you are looking for a collected work, this epic is actually pretty nice, and I think it's pretty inexpensive. Yeah, it's it's. Uh, you could probably get it on sale for less than twenty bucks. Yeah. So with that, uh, we got some communications from you, our dear listener. But before we go to the letters, I'd like to talk about our new artwork. Okay. And actually less about our new artwork, but but say farewell to the old banner, which was provided to us by Gabriel, help me out. Ochoa. Ochoa. <laughs> I have no idea how to pronounce your uh, name, Gabriel, and I, I apologize if it's not, but I'm always going to call it Ochoa. I want you I'm to, that kind of guy. And I want you to know that, 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 you know, we got the new artwork and everything, but there's a special little place in my heart for that banner because it had been a long time goal of me to have uh a a uh, character drawn and you were the first to draw my character it's it's so much so uh, important to me that it will remain my facebook profile uh you know until something forever well until something funny happens forever <laughs> i mean forever uh you know until a cat does something funny and then that becomes my profile picture <laughs> but no seriously uh um i i love it it's a really good profile uh, picture. And it's still on the Facebook if you want to look it up. We didn't delete it or anything. We're not total Ds. <laughs> wanted to let you know that if you wanted to send us more artwork, we'd be more than happy to share and display and even use it as uh, more profile pictures. Well, as a matter of fact, we got a, a letter. I and mean, that's a perfect segue to our letter from Gabriel. Yeah. Yeah. Where he says, uh, hey, guys, I just wanted to say that I am thoroughly enjoying your shows. I also like your new logo and inspired me to get back to the drawing board and do some more fan art for you guys. So he's he's working. I can't wait to see what he comes up with. He also says he wants to try some of the drinks that others have uh, suggested and was interested, to say the least, uh, that they had punched to them. The Banff drink needs a reboot in his opinion. Uh, did we ever do a Banff drink? We must have because we don't have it in our uh, our our drinks untried list. I know we talked about it, but I feel like it was always a work in progress. I think you had one. I wanted to do it, but I never got around to getting raspberry lemonade. Yeah, I had a raspberry lemonade. His suggestion is that uh, you use shots of vodka or clear liqueur and simply squirt a drop of blue or red food coloring and drink it down. Bamf, it's gone. I'm going to make some more. Bamf, bamf, bamf. Oh, so it's a shot. Well, that makes more sense because... I, I, I think that's a really good idea, actually. Although, I don't... We're probably never going to do shots of bamf on the show. Maybe one before the show. A shot of vodka? I feel yeah, like... Yeah, I don't know about vodka. I think... Um, I, I wonder if there's like a very German drink that we could use. Let me... Mmm. Mmm. 
I got it. I got it. And I could actually make this. Uh, it, it could be a uh, almost a shot of vodka with a mm. splash of glue vine and then uh, a drop of blue um, food coloring. I uh, I just got berry grape meal. If you if you're in the grocery store and you're picking up some meal, it's very good. I bet that would be delicious. What berry grape meal? Yeah, huh, okay. meal is like um, it's just added flavor. You you just add it to water. There's really nothing. Oh, I it. know what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, so maybe uh, maybe I'll tr- try that. Although I mean, glue vine's not the type of thing most people stock in their liquor cabinet, nor would most bars have it. I don't even know what it is. Uh, I don't really know what it is either. But my my family is got some German roots to it, and so uh, in Christmas there's this whole glue vine thing you do, and there's a liquor called glue vine, and then you you have you buy like a like a sugar pyramid, and then you 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 fill up like the pyramid with this glue vine, and then I don't know, something else. And then you set it all on fire, which is kind of funny. And then all the sugar melts. Uh, and then what's left, everybody drinks. I mean, you it's not flaming when you drink it. And you let it cool down a little bit. So th- that exists. I'm glue riding free, Jeremy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're one of those people. <laughs> yeah. So thanks, Gabriel, for that. Um, let's see. Quentin Choir, he he wrote in. He he said that uh, he's he's commenting on the life death issue when we're talking about phone connections, and and he reminds us that in the eighties phone connections didn't sound as good. So that plus Forge likely has some amount of Cheyenne accent. I imagine that Ford called a glazier and told them to put the words Eagle Plaza on the outside of the door, but the glazier was all like, "What." Egroff, is that Cheyenne thing? Okay, Forge hasn't gotten around to having it redone yet. I think it's because Forge was re- was backward on the window. I think that this is really a stretch. <laughs> <laughs> I like it though. <laughs> <laughs> it's 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 uh, it could be what Chris Claremont had in mind. Oh, I but, doubt that. Um, but <laughs> I I don't think so. And uh, Daniel Dunn. Uh, he emails in and says he fell behind on the podcast. He's catching up. Uh, he's glad to see everything's going great as ever. He's planning to do a spinoff show of the New Mutants, um, but and he's put it aside to focus on building a podcast company called Frankly Done Network. We have launched four shows so far and give you guys several shout-outs on our comic show, Limited Edition. Uh, so check that out. His question, uh, my question for you guys comes down to collecting. I'm about four issues away from having 94 through the current of Uncanny X-Men. The dream is to complete the, or to have the complete run, but how important do you guys think it is to have the repeat issues 67 to 93? I have a few in that sequence, but uh, it also seems like a waste of money. What do you think? So wait, he... He does not have issues one through sixty-seven. Um, well, I, it sounds like he's planning to get those. Ones. Oh, okay, okay. So four issues from having ninety-four to current. If you get those, I mean that that's a done deal. I would imagine. Hopefully, by the time you're hearing this, you've already gotten those four issues. Now the question is, what do you do about sixty-seven to ninety-three? Adam, I was going to do a little research on this, but I totally spaced it. Are the covers the same for those? No, they're all well. Okay, they're they they are. Um, slightly different they, they're colored differently and i think some of the drawings are changed and um some of the like in in the in the late 50s uh issues there were like they the title started being you know x-men featuring cyclops right remember those yep. so those go away and that becomes the x-men mm-hmm. um so the the covers are different but not significantly different enough uh my thought is if if you are the type of person who is a completionist, then yes. If you really don't care about 67 through 93, um, then no. <laughs> you pretty much just said it's up to him. Well, kind of, yeah, <laughs> but I really feel like this is the type of thing that we can't really answer because, like, I, I think it's a really personal thing. I don't think it's necessary um, because they're they're just issues of, you know, f- filler mostly. They're, they're, they're reprints. They're reprints and they're also like uh, – they would be interesting to own because I believe there's like backup stories that are – take place from other comics and stuff. There's, there's no original content in any of them though. No. Yeah. No, there isn't. But it's interesting how they took some of the backup stories and they filled in other stuff. 
and sometimes sometimes there would be multiple issues in one issue. Exactly. The issues aren't a one-for-one recreation. Some of them are right. double-sized. Some of them have the extra stuff. So in – I don't know. It's, it's, they would be more of a, a kind of a curiosity than anything. I, I don't think it's necessary. Um, I don't think it would be important. But if it's important to you to have a complete run, then I would say you definitely should. Here's the – I've never seen uh, – I'm not saying I've ever seen all of the issues of the X-Men, but I have never in person seen any of those issues, 67 through 93. So uh, I would imagine they probably had a limited run. So maybe that's the whole money thing. Like are they overall more valuable than their original counterparts in some cases, not every case? No idea. Yeah, I don't either. And Here's what I would do if it was me. I would get I would try to get 67 and 93. And then if I liked those, I would get 68 and 92. And I would just keep doing that until I got bored. Yeah, uh, sure. And then I'd stop there. Anyways, yeah. So check out limited edition on Frankly Done Network. Um I here's here's what I think our listeners should do is go check that show out and send Daniel a letter giving them their own thoughts on 67 to 93. But I like your idea of getting 67 and 93. Me it was a it was an achievement just to get issue 66. Yes. So I I like that I have that. That's the only actually the only issue I own uh of the pre-94 is that that last issue so maybe i need to get issue one so i can have issue one and 66 i'll get right on that here is if i was in a comic store and i saw like issue 72 and it was like eight bucks bucks, okay eight bucks well i probably wouldn't buy it if it was eight bucks but if it was four bucks i would probably buy it i would definitely buy it if it was eight dollars yeah. Just because just I don't have any of them. Now, the second one that shows up for $8, that might be the one where I'm like, mm, I already have this one. I don't know if I need <laughs> that one. It's not like I'm going to get them all ever. But uh, Yeah. So that wasn't really helpful at all, but, you know, at least we talked about it. <laughs> Maybe it was helpful. Who knows? Maybe we answered the question. Probably not. <laughs> Probably not. I think that's it for letters this week. So Yeah, sure is. If you'd like to join in, uh, ask us a question, you may do so. We're at RedCat, or let's see, what are we? DangerRoom at RedCatProductions.com is where you can email us. You can visit us, www.xmenpodcast.com, where all of the episodes and links are. Go out to iTunes. You can subscribe to us. You can leave us a review. You can leave us some stars, whatever you like. Uh, We're also available on Stitcher, but I heard Stitcher got bought out, but I think we're going to be available on whatever they got bought out on. So. Yeah, they sent us letters and I kind of scanned through them and it said nothing is changing. Yeah, so there you go. If you're listening to us on Stitcher, I guess you'll be able to continue listening to us on Stitcher. Facebook.com forward slash Danger Room Podcast and at Danger Room Go is how you can follow us on the Twitters. And to that regard, I guess I'd like to also extend a, a thank you to Edward Gibson who had been manning our Twitter account. Uh, I guess we're we're taking back those responsibilities. Is that right, Adam? Um, it's still up in the air. Yeah. Well, anyways, he's been handling the the Twitter social media aspect, but he's getting busy in his life, and we're rebranding and stuff. So I don't know. Maybe you'll see more, or maybe you'll see less. We're gonna try to figure out how Twitter works. I'm I'm. It's it's the primary Twitter account on my phone. So okay. Whenever I tweet which I don't, but if I did, it would go out through the danger room. I don't have a Twitter account. Oh, really? <laughs> On my phone. Yeah, the, the biggest thing I'm uh, uh, tweeting itself seems pretty easy, but the trick, obviously, and I probably just sound like some old man right now, the trick to Twitter, <laughs> you see, is the hashtags, right? You got to make sure you have a hashtag that makes sense so that you can trend with the other things. The trick, I think, is keeping up with all of it. Yeah. Like, my problem with social media is that I'm just not very social about it. Oh. And I feel like you kind of have to be. Definitely. Yeah. So we, we we might be a little lax in that area, but we'll try to, like, get the pictures back up and stuff. We, we may try to start our own anti-social network. Yeah. <laughs> and then we'll make a movie called The Anti-Social Network. There you go. And then we'll retire and there will be no more Danger Room podcast. Right. So look forward to that. You can also <laughs> call us 501-GET-X-MEN, which is 501-438-9636. Those are all of the ways that you can get a hold of us. Show is... Did you read New Mutants number 24? Speaking of New Mutants and... Daniel Dunn's soon 
upcoming New Mutants podcast. I did not read New Mutants. Well, then I will summarize this one quickly. Do that. Roberto and Rain have taken on the power sets of Cloak and Dagger. Oh, my God. And uh, Cloak and Dagger also don't have powers. And Roberto really can't handle it. And I guess this is in the same way that Cloak really can't handle it. Um, and they go, they go seek refuge with a priest who happens to be um, chaperoning, I guess, Shan's. Remember Shan? Remember how when we first met Shan, she had those two. She had a brother who had the same powers and she had two little younger siblings. I don't. A boy, a boy and a girl. Well, I don't remember the siblings, but I do remember the brother. Okay. Well, the siblings are the wards of the priest that Rain and Roberto go see. Um the X-Men track them down, or not the X-Men, but the New Mutants, uh, and Magic attempts to remove the shadow and light from Roberto and Rain by bringing them to the demon world, um, but it turns out that her magic has no effect on them, but she does get almost nearly fully armored up, mm. so well, that's kind of cool. Um, and the professor chastises her, which was very annoying. He was like, what'd you do that for? And the reason is because... The professor, once again, didn't let anybody in on his plan. Now he's yelling at them for that. Uh, meanwhile, uh, Magneto, remember him? Uh, yeah, yeah, vaguely. In the previous issue of New Mutants, he pushed Lee Forrester and was being a jerk. Yes. Well, in this in this issue, he apologizes to Lee Forrester for being a jerk earlier. And she's like, whoa, the Master of Magnetism just apologized. Holy cow. That does seem out of character. Holy cow. Yeah, I'm with you. That's a that's a that's a turnaround for him. Yeah. Uh actually you know what I did read this and I was a little struck by how she's like oh him. <laughs> like she just got attacked by this evil man and and now she's just kind of like giggle shaking it off. Well, you know, it was a very strong apology and he manipulated the metal in her brain. Oh, right, right. We forgot that he could do that. Yeah, is that it? No, I I read a bunch of stuff. Oh, no, no, for new mutants. Oh yeah, that's it for New Mutants. Okay, because I read Dazzler. Let me let me hear about Dazzler. Oh my gosh, this issue basically uh, it's, it's it's a it's a retelling of how Dazzler needs to earn sixty seven dollars and fifty cents within the next two days. <laughs> it takes place directly after the graphic novel. Yep, it does. So she returns home and she is bent, uh, bent. She's spent and bent probably. Uh, and she she phones up the X-Men, but they're not around. She, specifically, she's looking for Aurora, but I guess this is happening at the same time that she's getting on that cruise liner, maybe. So she decides that she's going to record a tape letter for Aurora. Did you ever do that, Adam, when you were younger? I, no. Never? Definitely not. Well, okay. I don't think I ever recorded a tape. I definitely recorded a lot of stuff. Sure. But I don't think I ever recorded a uh, my voice. Okay. Um, and this I would say that this is taking place since the since the last issue of X Men that we just did talked about the Dazzler moving being made mm-hmm. at the time. Then this definitely takes place after that. Okay. So so Aurora is probably in Africa right now. That could be. So she's recording uh, the message. Basically, this is just a, a good way to recount, if you didn't read the Dazzler graphic novel, uh, what happened in the gra- uh, Dazzler graphic novel so that you could be brought back up onto speed. And uh, that's when her landlords break in and they're like, you got to move out because we hate muties. And then they're like, nah, you can stay, but I need rent. It's due, m- due on Friday. And so a couple of days go by. And she's like, oh, I need $67.50 and I need it. I need it quick. So I need to get a job. So she goes all around town and everyone's like, we know you. You're a dirty, stinking mutant. We don't want your kind here. So she is unable to get a job. In fact, she goes to one place where he pulls out a crowbar and is like, I want to beat a mutie. And you're the mutie I want to beat. So she's wow. got to, yeah, she's got to use her powers to like disintegrate the crowbar. And he's all like, oh my God. And she kind of plays it off like, I'm going to kill you because I'm an evil mutant. But not right now because you're not worth my time. And then off she goes. She finally stops at a femmes club, which you would think is like like a gentleman's club filled with women for the gentleman. But no, it's not. It's a women's club for women. And I'm not even talking about women who like women. It's just like women who don't want to be around men. That's all it is. It's totally, Why, totally unique. What, what name would serve it better? Nothing. Than, I don't know. Than femme. 
Nothing. That's a perfect name. But I mean, on first glance in Los Angeles, you see a sign that says girls with the word femmes below it. You're like, oh, yeah. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> but it's not. It's anything but. It's it's only uh, only women. And so D- Dazzler walks in and, and nobody knows who she is. They all think she kind of looks familiar, but they're like, whatever. You got a job. You're a waitress. So she goes, she changes. There's a little nude scene in the back room, as there always is in a Dazzler issue. <laughs> And she goes out and she, she starts serving up drinks and there's a band and the band is hot and Dazzler's like, oh, I really want to be on stage and man, that girl can sing. You go, girl, you sing. The girl's name is Janet Jackson. You should not miss that point. The girl's name is Janet Jackson. Well, it's Jan Jackson, but Dazzler right. keeps calling her Janet Jackson. Right. But yeah, it's Janet Jackson. It's not <laughs> the Janet Jackson. No. A Janet Jackson. And that's when the Racine Ramjets come in, and they're like, "We're roller uh, derby, roller derby girls, and we're wanna cause ruckus." So they come in, and this is where the issue just gets really uh, uncomfortable, to be quite honest. Yeah, I felt the same way. <laughs> so these roller derby girls come in, they throw some girls out of a table. They're like, "This is our table, and we just won our match, and we're here to, to celebrate." And like, we want these crazy drinks. And Dazzler's taking their order, and when she comes back, you know, she's distracted by Jan Jackson singing. She comes back, and all the roller derby girls are like, "These aren't the drinks we wanted. Take them back. We hate you." And uh, one of the girls, uh, I think her name is Moose, or I don't know what her name is. <laughs> she Moose takes was from uh, Archie. I know, but. Anyway, she takes her drink and she dumps it on Dazzler's head. And uh, that's when this girl, who is very short, who kind of taught Dazzler the 15-minute ropes, everything's like, don't worry, I got this, I'll take over, I'm used to this. And so they're all making fun of how short she is, and and uh, they keep tripping her, but she's kind of playing it off like, oh, I tripped because my legs are so short. She's like making fun of herself uh, to try to quell the situation. But the more she makes fun of herself, the more these derby girls do horrible things to her, like roll up towels and whip her on the butt. It's really bad. <laughs> and nobody's doing anything. Like, nobody's calling the cops. Nobody's, like, the manager's not kicking them out. And uh, this poor girl who's, like, four foot tall, she's, like, she's 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 got tears coming. Actually, she's not four foot tall. She's 5'1", but still, she's pretty short. She's got tears streaming down her face, and Dazzler's kind of like, oh, this is ridiculous. Somebody's got to do something about this. And the women, they're like, we want to cause trouble, and that's why we're at this place, because we don't want to ruin a good place. We want to ruin a bad place. And that's when Barb comes back with the drinks, and, and they're all worked up that the big girl grabs her and, like, puts her on the table, and I don't know, they're going to just, they're going to they're going to show her the winning move, which won't hurt too much, provided that the roller derby girl does it right. And that's when Dazzler's like, put her down! So this girl picks up Barb and throws her at Dazzler, knocking Dazzler over. It's crazy. Nobody's calling the cops. And yeah. Then, then a big brawl starts. Dazzler is contemplating whether or not she should use her power, but she's like, nope, I work out. And so she beats up all the roller derby girls pretty much. And uh, somebody does eventually call the cops, and the cops are like, oh, fight at the girls' club? Give me a break. Sure, lady. Yeah. Tell you what, we'll send over a hundred men SWAT team the minute it starts showing or snowing in Death Valley. Sheesh. It's terrible. Sheesh indeed. <laughs> And so the girls continue fighting. Uh, Dazzler is using all of her moves to basically take out all these roller derby girls. And finally, they're all knocked out. Everybody's uh, left the girls' club here. And uh, she goes up to um, Beefy, not Moose, Miss Beefy, and says, If it wouldn't trouble you too much, I'd like to get that big tip you promised me earlier. Okay. Just sixty-seven fifties. all I need. Okay, fine. She steals it. And she, well, no, I mean it's it's okay because Beefy's like, oh, that's cool. You can do that. Yeah, I know. But, <clears throat> and so Barb is like, well, that was quite a first day. Are you are you gonna stay? And she's like, no, this is too much. Uh, this is too much stress for me. I got to go do something else. So she leaves. Yep. <laughs> well, it's uh, I don't that know. That was a weird issue. I don't know why Dazzler's ending soon. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I, I thought, you know, I mean, you read that graphic novel and you're like, okay, they, they really want to like kind of change the angle of Dazzler and really make her kind of a, you know, m- down with mutants or, you know, 
mutant rhetoric uh, poster girl, but instead they come up with the really bad roller derby story. I think they just wanted to make her relevant. But yeah, I, I don't really, I don't fully understand it. This issue certainly doesn't make her relevant. No. The worst thing is I, I've met some roller derby girls, and they, they're not like that at all. Well, no, I don't <laughs> think the implication is that like all roller derby girls are like that. It's, it was just, it's weird. It, it was just, yeah, it, they, pre- they present. A bunch of women who are big as acting like a bunch of dudes. And it, it, it's very strange. Yeah. And it's an interesting timepiece. Let me put it that way. <laughs> okay. So that was Dazzler for, for this episode. All right. Um, time me. I'm going to do this in under five minutes. All right. Go. Alpha Flight 18. Uh, well, Heather tries to get Alpha Flight back together. Shaman and his daughter encounter an evil force that animates scrambled eggs. And, and then a really old man, and they fight scrambled eggs. That was actually pretty, kind of neat. Sounds uh, entertaining. Captain Britain, number one. Uh, Chief Inspector Somebody Thomas is convinced that Brian Braddock is Captain Britain, and he tries to convince his superiors that uh, they should arrest Brian uh, Braddock because all superheroes are terrible, and there's a illusion that his... Uh, family was killed in some superhero act. Uh, meanwhile, Brian tells Betsy Braddock about, well, the whole issue is sort of a flashback of all of Captain Britain's. Uh, New Defenders number 139, uh, an eagle communicates with Angel, which is pointed out as not a part of his power set, as we know. And the eagle tells him that there is an evil in a mine nearby, so the defenders go and investigate, and they meet Red Wolf, who apparently is a superhero Indian who I had never heard of, but is apparently a Marvel Comics regular. They discover that the mine is actually a passage to Asgard, and there are trolls there who are draining the blood of everybody they encounter in order to forge mystical weapons to take over the Earth. Whew. The defenders beat them, and the mine shaft collapses on the trolls, and Moo Dragon loses her headband, and... Um, now she's free. But it's all cool because she's not bad anymore. Um, and in ROM number 62, Forge refuses to cooperate with the U.S. government despite the fact that the dire race have bored a hole in the sun or that he has continued to refine the weapon that uh, hurts Storm. He shows the army people, I'm on Mark three of this weapon, but you can't have it. And um, so ROM pays him a visit. They argue about the fate of the world. And... Um, Forge just doesn't trust the government, and meanwhile, uh, Dire Wraiths start attacking innocent people outside of Eagle Plaza, or Egroff, as it's known to some. One. And uh, that, so Forge and Ram agree to team up to save humanity. And that's all, everything that I read. Wow, that's under three minutes. Woohoo! Well done. Woohoo! <laughs> all right then, well, uh, Adam, do you have anything else you want to add to this one? No, sir. Well, then, until next time, my name is Jeremy. My name's Adam. And the danger room is closed. I always forget that we do that. 